0: I hear this yelling and we turn around and it's a busload of people from Calgary yelling, Jay! Jay! (laughs) We love you! Where's Dan? Where's Dan?
1: It's the H-Dog Pod with your host, Michael the Hound Dog Harrison. Hey, welcome to episode 55, the Derek Brooks edition of the podcast. Seems as good a time as any for him to be named as he was part of Tampa Bay Buccaneers' first Super Bowl title in the early 2000s. And Tampa Bay won it again this year with the greatest of all time, Tom Brady, winning his seventh career Super Bowl title, defeating the Chiefs 31-9. What an incredible story for Tom to switch teams and in his first year, bring a squad who hadn't been to the playoffs since 2007 to a title. Amazing. He's the GOAT. Without question. Back to Brooks. He was Defensive Player of the Year in 2002, made 11 Pro Bowls, was elected to the 2000s All-Decade Defensive Team, and was enshrined in the Hall of Fame in 2014. Not bad for the 28th pick in the 1995 draft. I'd be remiss to not bring up the latest layoffs at TSN and how much the people let go meant to me. Dan O'Toole, who is on episode 21 of this podcast, was such an awesome guy, super talented, zany, just the best to work with. He's going to be sorely missed along with producer Tim and our comedy writer Brendan Halloran. It was not only those gentlemen who were let go, but those were the three from the show I worked on at TSN, which was SC with Jay and Dan, which will now be SC with Jay Onright. Other talented broadcasters and behind-the-scenes folks were spared, too. They'll be so missed without question. My next guest was on the January 27th edition of the Jay and Dan podcast, as he worked with them at Fox in the States. So without further ado, let's get cracking. Okay, and now welcome on a very special guest, Robert Lucetic. He's the author of Unplayable, an inside account of Tiger's most tumultuous season, and he was also in the recent Tiger documentary on HBO. Welcome to the H Dog Pod, Robert.
0: Great to be here, mate, and uh, um, love lovely Canadian accent. I pretty much always say yes to Canadians, so
1: <laughs> so funny you say a Canadian accent because uh, you know obviously for us we don't even notice that there the is an accent. So uh, what is that? What is the tell I guess for a Canadian accent? I guess.
0: Oh yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it's, there's a lot of A and there's a lot of, uh, the, it's, it's the end sound. It's just got more of a, I would say somewhat British sound, but not, not British. Just you can tell somewhere in the, in the evolution of the Canadian accent, there were, there was a lot of influence from Scots and, and, and Irish, Brits and bits and pieces of it have, have hung around.
1: Yeah, definitely A is, uh, no question, is the, uh, I guess, people always say that, we always say a boot, and stuff like that, which just sounds, I've never, literally never heard anyone in my entire life say the word a boot, but apparently that's what we do, so.
0: (laughs) I think, maybe maybe you need to be uh,
1: a new Oh, man, oh, if you were to tell uh, someone from, if you call someone from Newfoundland uh, a new apparently that really riles them up, I'm not sure why, but that, that gets under their skin big time.
0: Oh, my God. That's true. I did not know that. I just uh, I thought that they they, they embraced their newfiness.
1: <laughs> That's what you'd think, but yeah, I know a couple of people from out right there, and they for some reason I I uh, I'll call them that just a joke with them because uh, it gets them going. It's uh, pretty funny. Uh, yeah, that,
0: probably great embarrassment there. So uh, um, yeah, no, Canadians are great. I mean, I'm Australian, obviously, and we just have a lot of similarities in the way we see the world, and you know, we we. I, you can laugh at yourself. You can take you, you can take what you're doing seriously, but don't take yourself too seriously, which is the uh, the motto of most Australians and Canadians. Sort of fit in that uh, in that realm.
1: Yeah, absolutely, without question. Uh, well, lots to get to. Uh, we should start with that book that I uh, mentioned off the top. There. Uh, tell uh, listeners what the, they can expect from uh, from it.
0: Well, you know, I, I started out doing a deal with Simon & Schuster in to, to write a book about Tiger Woods and the goal really was to use the backdrop of the 2009 season which is when he came back from injury to tell the story of who is this guy Tiger Woods because I think that certainly for me as a journalist I felt and having got a little bit close to him and, and you know BS with him here and there, and I found him to actually be a far more interesting person than his, than his public persona ever led on. And, and indeed, his public persona was essentially a cardboard cutout. It was, it was, you know, puddles are deeper, and uh, the, the, you know, it was very manufactured. It was very, uh, I thought, sanitized, and. I didn't, I didn't want to say, you know, well, you know, this is, I'm going to just, you know, pour a bucket of the brown stuff on Tiger Woods here and, 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 you know, do some sort of a hatchet job on it. (laughs) That was never the goal. The goal was just to say, who's the person behind this image? Mm -hmm. What's he like? And I just really didn't feel that there was anything that had really resonated along those levels. And I, I feel like people didn't really know who Tiger was. So, you know, I was going to paint a portrait in words. And that was, that was the, uh, the goal. And then as that year was unfolding, you know, Tiger won, obviously multiple times, but he did lose that PGA first time. He'd lost the third round lead mm-hmm. at a major. And I thought, wow, this is going to be, this is sort of one of the big, the big parts of the book. And then obviously Thanksgiving happens. And, uh, you know, his his life is, is essentially just in so, which was a challenge for me because obviously I had a deadline, and uh, my wife and children will never forget that Christmas because the, their father was locked in his office, you know, eighteen hours a day writing. So, um, but uh, you know, I, I'm I'm proud of what what I did. I think the uh, I think that there's plenty in unplayable for any kind of uh, reader and he's you know, Tiger's just a more complicated person, a more nuanced person, as you would hope he would be at least I would than than the, the, the sort of sanitized version that IMG and Nike and its various corporate sponsors portray
1: And what were some of the things uh, in that book that uh, people wouldn't know about Tiger that would maybe surprise them?
0: I think that Honestly, there's the, the the fact that he's well. I mean, he probably wouldn't like me saying this, but it's not even it's not even he just he's sort of a kid, and I, I think that there's a bit of arrested development with him. I think now probably it's different because obviously the last ten years have led to a lot of changes in his life. I think he's matured. I think that the the DUI that uh, that he had actually was the one thing that changed his life and, and saved him in a lot of ways. I don't think he wins that master's in 2019 if he doesn't have the DUI, because the DUI finally got him to give up the, the, the pills or deal with the pill problem. Um, like a lot of people in the world, you know, pain management has crept into addiction mm-hmm. and it's legal and unfortunately, I don't think that enough has been done to deal with essentially the the, the you know what what becomes roadkill collateral damage of these pain management pills. It's essentially just get you know people get get hooked on them. But I think in the book uh, I, I portray a bit of a rest of development. Uh, he's I think he's he's very funny. He's sharp. He's got a potty mouth very salty tongue. Um and he, do, he doesn't, he's not a person that I think has a lot of trust for other people. And I think maybe that's because in his childhood, he probably felt that everyone was trying to get a piece of him. So he, he, he very much, he very much sort of cocooned himself away. And there's other things that aren't as good. I mean, I, the way that he deals with personal relationships, but certainly for the first 30 odd years of his life were not ideal. He has a way of just shutting people out and, and he, you know, he likes to be surrounded by yes men, which I always thought was just not, you know, the way to go. Because if you're, if you're a friend and then you, then you, you end up on the payroll, you're not really a friend anymore. And, and, you know, and there's a lot of these conflicts. In fact, most of Tiger's, um, you know, dalliances of women were in fact enabled by friends that worked for him. So, you know, that there's, there's a, there, and, and I talked to a lot of different people in the book about who he is. And I believe that he is. The other thing to say about Tiger is, you know, he's a big sports fan in general, but he's really a golf fan. And I remember, uh, Nathan Green, who's an Aussie who's no longer on the tour.
1: Mm-hmm. Canadian Open winner, yeah.
0: He won the Canadian opening or was <laughs> it the Canadian P back then? Uh,
1: yeah, I think it was at the time it was the Bell Canadian Open, I believe.
0: Yeah. So um, he he made a good you know, a good point about Tiger. He said, you know, Tiger congratulated me uh, on on winning and you know, he wasn't exactly a well known guy on the tour. Tiger ran into him and said, congrats on winning. He's, he watched it and he, you know, and he said, for instance, he said, I'm not sure Phil Mickelson would know who I am. So Tiger has, he has, I think he has a lot of support from other golfers because he is such a golfer and they, they respect that. I mean, he's a golf nerd is really what he is. Uh, certainly he was for, for the first 35 years of his life. Now things changed, I think. Talking to Hank Haney uh, for the book, I realized somewhere after Tiger's dad passed, he probably started thinking about other things in life. That's when this obsession with the Navy SEALs began. And which, because all of us are, to some degree, our father's sons, and I think that when Earl died, they probably weren't as close as they could have been in those last few years. And maybe Tiger felt some guilt or whatever it was. He wanted to feel closer to his father. And then suddenly this urge to be a Navy SEAL emerged, which was just, you know, frankly bizarre. But he had given his life to golf. That's all he had in his life. And that's what he had. So suddenly he was starting to think about other things. And and I remember Haney, you know, saying that he noticed around like 2007, Tiger probably didn't, Work as hard as he used to on his game, and you know, and that that happens. I mean, Jack Nicholas said Tiger will win as much as he wants, or as long as as long as he's not, he doesn't have distractions, or he's not, you know, interested in other things. And then suddenly, you know, you have a family, and life changes. You're not the same kid you were that is 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 spending twenty hours a day either thinking or practicing. God,
1: how serious was? Uh, did it almost become that Tyre Woods was, was it a Navy SEAL like obviously he was intensely doing that. Like was it actually getting to the point where it actually might have been a reality?
0: Well Steve Williams was he didn't know what to think. He I remember him uh vividly him saying you know, I thought he was joking or I thought it was like he's like but I you know more and more he started saying am not sure he's I'm not sure it's a joke. I think he's actually thinking about it. Um, he was certainly into you know going he was down in Southern California a lot and he was doing a lot of training with X field that is established and it's been established tiger doesn't really talk about it obviously you know and certainly his agent Mark Steinberg doesn't want to talk about it either because that's not good for business or but he definitely was interested in in um, in in, in he was exploring it, I should say, and it would have been obviously the, the biggest story, probably in golf history. But how he would have—I mean, the practicalities of doing it—I um, don't know how practical it would be. that at his age, you know, he would go through seal training. But who knows? I mean, we'll never really know how close it came. But I have it—you know—multiple multiple sources confirmed that tiger did hurt his knee in while he was doing seal training. So it wasn't all the golf swing. And then, uh, you know, he, he was jumping out of helicopters. So that doesn't always work well for your injuries.
1: Man, that's just crazy. Uh, yeah, that would have, would have been obviously, yeah, an absolutely wild, wild story. No question about that. Uh, by the way, to put a bow on Nathan Green, it was the RBC Canadian Open. And also, I remember Green lost in a playoff to Tiger at the Buick Invitational years ago. So, um, he
0: did. He did. definitely did. So, um, but he was, uh, I mean, he was just making the point that Tiger's a golf guy, you know? Like Johnny Huck. Uh, Tiger ran into him the year that Ha won down in Mexico. And he was like, he's a kid that. Was, you know, he was hitting balls at Muni's and in, in L.A. and suddenly ends up on the tour and wins an event. And he bumped into Tiger at, at the Honda. And, you know, Tiger congratulated him. And he was thinking, my God, I mean, Tiger Woods knows who I am. <laughs> but he, he, respects, he respects people that, you know, get to the tour or achieve something. But, the, the, you know, there's something to be said about that, too. I mean, he's very... He's a he's a respectful guy along those lines. Now he'll give you a he'll give you a lot of needle. He does love that, and and some people will tell you that he's better at pitching than he is at catching. But that's true of a lot of people. <laughs> well,
1: what was the the process of writing that book? Uh, you said you were doing eighteen hour days there uh, around Christmas. Uh, uh, how long did it take uh, to do to finish it? And uh, was it just super tedious? I can't even imagine.
0: Well. Yeah, you you definitely can't have ADD, so there's there, there that's a problem. Um, but and I, look, I, I've been I've been a writer, I've written books. I mean, I've 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 been a journalist my whole life. So you know, words are, are, are the bricks that I work with. You know, and uh, I put them together and and build things. So, it, but that said. The, the real problem wasn't writing the book. I'd already started writing the book and, and I didn't want to write it as I went along, but I wrote big chunks and then I would edit it. But the big thing that happened obviously was, was the, uh, the scandal and that happened. And I had a month to figure out what, what was really happening. And I'm very proud of the fact that using, you know, I was a foreign correspondent for 15 years. I was a uh, political reporter. I was, prime courts a the general um, uh, news agency reporter for the Australian Associated Press when I started so I I sort of had the skills to report a story and if you end up you know in golf or tennis or whatever you end up in some sport you probably wouldn't have those skills because there's not a lot of you know you're not doing a lot of digging and uh, those stories so thankfully I had them and I used them, and I, 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 you know, I did a pretty good, pretty good job of taking, you know, a number of sources, and and forming the final chapter of my book, which is, which really was the story of how, you know, Tiger's life unfolded, blow by blow, like at the end, like what happened in that Thanksgiving, and uh, and and you know, obviously, it, it was a difficult story to write because you've got you know, people just don't want their names on, on the story. But, I, you know, they're people that I know and I respect and I know that they know. So I did my best to protect my sources and tell the story. And I think I did a, a decent job of it.
1: And, uh, was there a hidden meeting, hidden a meaning behind uh, the Unplayable uh, book title?
0: Yeah, so Unplayable uh, was... Steve Williams actually pretty much gave me the title. So amongst Tiger's, you know, camp, the code word for when he was in a foul mood was he's unplayable. As as you know in, in golf, that's uh, that means you 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 can't play the ball where it is. So unplayable was their little code, and then they would be prepared for his <clears throat> mood. So like Steve was, Steve Williams was was very. He understood Tiger, I think, in a a sort of a brotherly way. They were very, honestly, very pretty close because they both shared the same thing. Steve Williams wanted Tiger to be the greatest golfer ever, and so did Tiger. So there was something about that that Steve Williams wanted to help him get there. But he was also a smart enough guy to know that if Tiger hits like some duck hook off the tee, He's picking up that bag and he's walking twenty steps ahead because he doesn't want to hear what the abuse that he's that's probably coming his way. Mm. But the thing about Tiger told me is the Tiger, whenever he would get to the ball, he would no longer, you know, wear or be in a you know crappy mood. He would focus on the next shot. And Steve Williams says, at least in his view, that is one of the greatest strength that Tiger Wood had, as a golfer, was to just forget about that shot that he just missed, and now figure out what am I going to do from here. And you know, a lot of golfers find that very difficult. But but you know, he would also say if Tiger had a bad round, he's like, you know, I went looking for a sandwich as soon as we were done. You don't want to sit around there because you're going to get a, you're going to cop it. So. He would uh, he would you know look around and find a reason to be gone for ten or fifteen minutes, or, the, or go to the range and set up over there because Tiger always liked he never would he never liked being in the middle of a range he was always on the edges. So Steve Williams would find an excuse, and but uh, but you know the, the 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 interesting thing I think is that Tiger lived this life that was completely compartmentalized like his wife and his kids were over here his his golf games over here Steve Williams is over here his business interests and then obviously the women and, his, and the nightlife and but he made it he did an incredible job of keeping those boxes apart for all those years and then of course they came they came crashing in together uh, at that Thanksgiving
1: yeah, that was uh, it took a long time before uh, any of the, you know those uh, salacious stories came out. That is for sure. Uh, have you ever thought about doing a, a book on Stevie Williams? Steve did his own
0: book actually, um, and it's very good. It was done with a friend of his in New Zealand, um, and uh, you know, it's it's I, it's, I actually recommend it if, it if people people should read it. It's 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 a very uh, honest. He's a very he sees the world in a very black and white way, which I suppose, in some ways, can be—you could say—that's naive, but not in his—not in his view. You know, he's—he's he's very much the kind of guy that if he like, if he gave you, if he—if you were his friend, he'd do anything for you. He's that sort of guy. He's very, uh, very loyal. Um, you know, we both love rugby, so we would—you know—we had that in common. But he's a massive rugby man. He doesn't ever watch golf. That's another interesting thing about him in his off weeks. He never would watch golf. So he doesn't really, he's not a golf fan per se, even though that's where he's spent his life and made millions of dollars doing it. Um, but he's got a car racing, you know, team races, saloon cars, what they call them down there. And, uh, and, and, you know, he lives on the farm. I mean, he's a, he's a sort of a simple fella, but, but you know, i have I think he's uh, I think he's a
1: good fella. And when he went to uh, caddy for Adam Scott and they won in uh, Akron, and, and uh, Stevie Williams said something along the lines of that was his best win of his career or most proudest win, something along those lines. Obviously, that was like <laughs> stunning considering it wasn't a major. Uh, how many eyebrows were uh, raised uh, by the journalists and everyone covering that uh, that he was saying a win by with Adam yeah. Scott uh, was the best of his career?
0: Yeah, I was um, I, I was standing right there when this all happened. Um, look, it was clear that he was not happy with Tiger at that time, and the fact that Adam won, I think it was he was you know basically extending his little finger to Tiger, and because he felt very aggrieved by Tiger's actions, and really it all comes back to the fact that Steve Williams, although I don't know if he how much he knew about Tiger's nightlife. I suspect he probably was suspected, but he was very careful to not get involved. He had just, you know, he got gotten married late in life. Um, lovely girl. She was actually good friends with Elon. Um, and uh, he'd had a, a son, Jet, who who was, you know, just the apple of his eye and He didn't really want to endanger any of that by, you know, going to Las Vegas with Tiger Woods. So he was very clear about not being involved. And I think where he was a little naive was that he wanted Tiger to clear his name, just to say Steve Williams had nothing to do with it. And it came, and and the reason that 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 narrative began was that. Steve's mother, elderly mother, was going, you know, Sunday morning to to the gas station and, and bought the Sunday paper. And there's a story about some Vegas, you know, uh, lady of the night talking about partying with Steve Williams and Tiger Woods. And, you know, he, he called me and said, this is not true. And he said, you know how I know it's not true? And I said, how? He said, because I never went to Vegas with Tiger for a reason. And. So, but the problem is, I, you know, as I tried to explain to Steve and he was having none of it, if Tiger starts saying that you didn't have anything to do with it, well, what does that mean about Mark Steinberg? What does that mean about the other people around him? What, did they? So I knew Tiger would never agree to it, but I also knowing Steve, I knew that he wouldn't let it go. He's very dogged in that way. And then the, the story really after that, Tiger was injured. The Congressional was the uh, U.S. Open that year. Steve's father-in-law had taken time off work. They'd taken, va- you know, vacation time. And they were going to paint uh, Steve had a house up in Oregon, so, which reminds him of New Zealand, which is what he likes. Lots of rain and green. Um, anyway, so they were going to paint the house, do some work on it, and then go to Washington, D.C., so his father-in-law could see DC and at the U.S. Open, and then go to Philadelphia, where Tiger's tournament was at a that year. So that was all planned. And then uh, when they arrived from New Zealand, uh, Steinberg sent him a message saying, "You know, oh, Tiger's Tiger's now not playing. He's not going to play the U.S. Open." So which was Saturday night. So the the, the Open week was Monday. So Steve was very disappointed, obviously, and annoyed that somebody hadn't told him maybe before he got on the plane. Mm-hmm. So he checks his phone back then. He had, he had a U.S. phone, and uh, there's a message on it from Adam Scott saying, I hear, you know, Adam said I, he had broken up with uh, uh, Tony Navarro being his caddy. And he said, "If you're if you're Tiger's engine, you're available. I'd love you a caddy for me, uh, just to, until I find someone." So he ran it by Tiger. Tiger said, "Fine." And um, I guess Tiger changed his mind and, and 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 didn't want him to do it. And then at Philadelphia, Tiger, I mean uh, Tiger, was obviously not playing, but he did show up as the as the host. And there was Steve again with Adam Scott. And Adams sort of had a strange relationship in the in the world of Tiger, because ever since he went to Butch Harmon, they were both obviously with Butch. He was the next Tiger. Their swings were very similar back then. He was going to be the next Tiger, and I think Tiger didn't, you know, was was not that enamored with the analogy. Mm-hmm. And uh, so there was always a bit of competition between those two. Not from Adams' end at all, I don't think. Adams. The most relaxed guy you can imagine, but but for whatever reason, I know that um, Adam's now wife and girlfriend was also a nanny on the tour, Scandinavian also, and she and Elon were friends, and Elon invited them to the wedding, and uh, and and uh, they got uninvited. So Ooh. I would imagine that was so for whatever reason that became a problem, and then Steve Williams and Tiger basically had it out. And that was the end of that. So right after that comes the WGC. So there was a lot of bad blood at that time. Certainly, I mean, probably from both ends, but certainly from Steve Williams' end.
1: Damn. Yeah, well, it's interesting to hear the your sort of the genesis of as to why he did say that. Because obviously, at the time when when uh, Steve Williams mentioned that uh, it was the greatest win, it was like, whoa, whoa, whoa what's going on? So clearly, uh, that makes a lot more. Uh, you know, sense uh, hearing the backstory behind that. Uh, now, how long was that interview uh, that you did um, for the Tiger Woods uh, Tiger Woods documentary? Uh, how long did it take?
0: Oh, I mean, you know, hours. It's, uh, those things have, you know, I've been in television a bit. I mean, those things are, uh, they always take a long time. So, you know, you give them, it, they're, they were, um, what I thought was interesting is the producers of that doc, were not golf people. So they were pretty much telling a, a, you know, a human story, which I thought was at the time I thought, well, you know, it's probably going to lack a little bit because there isn't a golf person per se that's, that's, that's involved. But honestly, I'm not sure that it did. Uh, I think that it, it was almost, uh, because it was so new to them, the story of Tiger Woods, and you know, it's it's harder for me because I mean I wrote a book about this. So there's nothing in that that was new to me new to me, sorry. But and probably there's a lot of Tiger Woods fans. There wouldn't there wouldn't be much that was new to them either. But you know, they they did a, a documentary that would have a broader appeal and I think it did. I think it, it became a very human story. So um, you know, I would say I probably did about Three plus hours of sit-down interview for, for my, you know, four or five minutes in the in the uh, in, in the, the two-part series. So, and that's about what it ends up being.
1: Yeah, I, I enjoyed. Uh, I watched uh, both um, episodes a couple different times. I enjoyed it. You had an awesome quote in the documentary: "The problem with conquering the world is, the, is that the world will want its revenge." Uh, after you said that, did you go? Oh my god! I just nailed that. That was so freaking good.
0: It did occur to me that it was a good line, but it didn't occur to me that it would end up being uh, all over the place. So <laughs> I probably should have got it. I probably should have copyrighted the thing. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, it did. Somebody sent me the the trailer for the. Um, let, you know, this was done in early summer, and I'd somewhat forgotten about it. I mean, I knew it was coming out early 2021. But somebody had sent me a trailer and said, "Oh, you're in this trailer and uh, the Tiger Woods thing." And of course, there's that line. I thought, "Oh boy, I, I really should have should have copyrighted that." But um, uh, whatever. Some, look, you know, there are days when you, in this business, you come up with something and you go, "That's pretty good." And uh, other days when it's uh, maybe not as good.
1: I hope I'm wrong. Uh, maybe never winning a major again. Do you think you will uh, be, do better than Jack's 18 major titles, or? Uh it's obviously it's such a tough well, call.
0: I yeah, and I don't think he's going to beat Jack's record, but I'm also not thinking that you know he won't win another major. I mean, I have you know two years ago when he he couldn't uh, he couldn't sit upright in in a in a car seat um, in the seat in his car, and he and you know he told Jack Nicklaus at the Champions Dinner that he was done. So even Tiger thought he was done. Um, because of the, the the back problems, so but like as I said, I mean he did recover. That it was a bit, it was a long shot. The spinal fusion surgery, but it worked. He was able to play. Now, can he play in the cold? I don't think he can. I just don't think. I mean, look at his performances when it, the weather hasn't been warm over the last few years. They're not very good, um, and I think that he requires some. Heat, some things going away. Moving the PGA from August is a problem. to May, because of, because he he's lost essentially the summer. The summer major was always the PGA. So now you you know now Augusta is a place I feel like he can compete for a number of years, at least five, six, seven, eight more years. I think he can compete there because he knows the place. He knows what he has to do. And he's done it before, obviously. So that that's a huge, huge uh, bonus. The a warm, I think his other big chance is a warm week at the Open. The Open champion, yeah, yeah. When it's uh, when it's when, if it's running hard and fast, because as as Watson Tom Watson showed in 09, I mean, I was there for at Turnbury that week. Oh. So it, was, it was amazing. Not the tale, anything we wanted but what he showed was in golf it doesn't matter how you get to a place you need to get to so if, if Dustin Johnson if you need to get to 270 or 280 yards down a fairway to avoid a bunker um, and Dustin Johnson hits a five iron and Tom Watson hits a driver but they both end up in the same spot then it really doesn't matter and, and Tiger Bill to my you know to me he's the greatest iron player that ever lived and that's not me saying that that's Jack Nicklaus saying that and i think tiger with his iron game when it's on as it was at the masters of 2019 and frankly as it was at the pga in st louis mm-hmm. where brooks kepka held his nerve otherwise tiger wins that tiger he couldn't hit it anywhere off the tee he was one of the worst driving exhibitions you've ever seen, but it was old school Tiger that he was hitting eight on to eight feet, mm. straight up in the air. Mm-hmm. And so I think but I think he's, we, we can't write him off just yet.
1: Yeah. It's uh as we, as we saw a couple years ago, it was uh, in 2018 and 2019. It's like, I always said to people for who had long said he was done. And I, I always clarified it was a big if, but if he can get healthy, He's the greatest player of all time. So, you know, he will be able to contend again. But, of course, that was a huge if at the time. But, uh, you know, it's great to see him. Hopefully he'll get back from this uh, latest uh, injury and uh, be able to compete because clearly the tour is so much better with him in it. So that'd be, that'd be awesome. Um, some of the stuff, uh, a couple of things uh, currently going on for golf. Uh, how big was uh, Brooks Kepka w- uh, winning at the Phoenix Open after three missed cuts? Uh, good to see him back uh, competing and playing well.
0: Yeah, I mean that. That honestly threw me because, and obviously we saw from, from the very rare from Kepka that he that he sort of, you know, opens 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 the soul up and, and lets things out. I mean, I, I it was very I was very probably more surprised by the fact that he was willing to say I'm not I wasn't sure I was in dark a dark place. I wasn't sure if I'd ever come back than I was that he won that tournament. Um, you know, obviously, you know, you could make the case that he shouldn't have won that tournament, but he did it. He did what had to be done. The guy knows how to close. And it wouldn't surprise me to see Kepka go on a bit of a run now that he's got his his tail up, Um, you know, more. I think the story in a lot of ways more that, you know, Xander Shoffley, who is one of my favorite players, um, you know he's got some demons, and he's going to have to confront them. But you know, just, frankly, just too many runner-up finishes. It, it was poor. It was just very, very poor. You just can't do that on a Sunday if you want to, you know, be a, be one of the, the the best players in the world. And and Spieth obviously didn't, you know, didn't have his best Sunday either. But I think Spieth had more has more to look forward to because it was the first time in a while he's. He's been at the pointy end of a tournament. He's felt the heat, and you know it didn't go his way. But I think that's something he can build on because it's been a it's been a steady but slow sort of decline for him, and the last few years. And, and so something positive is is good for him to get to build on. Um, and and Zander definitely, I think will I think he'll find a way, but he needs to deal with it because. It's getting a little bit, we're getting to the point where, you know, you don't want to be the next Ricky Fowler. Mm-hmm. And and I say that, I know that sounds unkind, but, you know, Ricky's not, a, hasn't he just hasn't won very much. And, and I think Xander has that talent, as does Ricky, but you just need to start winning. It's just the way it is. Just find a way to win. And as Tiger used to say, the, the Ws take care of everything else
1: hmm. Yeah. Shoffley, of course, losing, uh, putting the ball in the water on the 71st hole at the Phoenix Open, lost a short or missed a short putt at Colonial uh, last season on the second last hole as well. And then, of course, three putted at Kapalua to lose and then eventually lost the playoff. It's you're right. Uh, uh, at the Masters, that Tiger did win in 2019. I actually got Shoffley on a betting book. Everywhere had him at 33 to one to win. And this uh, one betting book had him at 100 to one. They just made a big, a big mistake. So I put 20, 20 on him. I'm like, oh my god, that's that's an incredible odds, right? And uh, oh man, that would have been such an amazing uh, win for me. But at the same time, it was like it, the only way that it was okay that I didn't win that was that Tiger won. Anyone else winning? If Molinari had uh, would have won, I would have been just completely crushed.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that's a that's a whole separate uh, podcast. The, uh, the the world of bad beats, but uh, I'm sure we could all. Uh, Create some uh, shed, shedded tears for, the, for all the bad beats that uh, we've, we've experienced, but uh, yeah, look, I mean, I think it's 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 important. Golf is, is is a unique sort of sport because you can have a great career not win very much, but it's still a successful career. And but if you want to be considered one of the elite players, you really do have to break through and you you gotta start, you know, you gotta win tournaments. Mm-hmm. And uh, so when when I was a kid, people would come back and you know and say, Well I won my my club junior title or I won this or I won that and then kids all oh, five. And everybody says, Well that's a great that was great. Got a top ten. You know so you, you it, it's sort of different expectations amongst kids now in golf it's 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 good to you know you have a top 10 you had a good week and certainly if you're on the pga tour you're going to have a very lucrative life if you just keep top ten all the time but at some point as i said you know if you want to be considered at the at the next level as an elite player uh, you just have to start winning golf on
1: uh, no doubt. Yeah. Charles Howell III is a, is a good example of a player who millions of top tens made tons and tons of money, but uh, I think it's only a three victories. So, uh, I'm sure he would think that's a, a career, uh, you know, unfulfilled.
0: His wife and his manager and his caddy probably don't think it's so unfulfilled that life, but yeah, <laughs> I bet you, if, you know, if you took Ch- Charles is a good fellow. I mean, if you took him aside and, you know, I mean, I'm sure he would say that. I wish, I, I wish I, I had more wins, um, because at some point, you know, he's, he's probably, I don't know what he's up to, but he had it all up. It's got to be at least be in the $40 million range. So, I mean, at some point, maybe you'd trade, you'd trade a bit of that, wouldn't you, for a for a, a major or, you know, it was the tour that will give you the players. It's almost like a major. But, yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's just, it's, it's, it's the unique sport. And you wouldn't get this. I mean, you know, I, I, I used to, we used to joke in Australia that after all the great tennis stars that we had for decades and decades, you know, in the eighties, we, we, we replaced them with career quarter finalists. And again, I mean, it's just, they weren't bad players. They just were not winning tournaments. They were, they were getting into the last eight, the last four, the last 16. they just, so they, they're very fine players, good careers, but you know, you got to win.
1: Absolutely. Uh, a couple last things before I let you go here. Um, a couple weeks ago, uh, Patrick Reed um, at the Farmers Insurance Open uh, rules fiasco with the embedded ball. Uh, obviously, huge controversy with that. Uh, how much of that was more to just do with his uh, reputation um, as opposed to the actual act that he did? Because in theory, without if you took the players out of the situation, I would think what Rory did on the 18th hole was worse than Patrick because he didn't even call a, a rules official over. How, so how much of that was just... Most of it was just as a based on his reputation,
0: but we discovered later that a uh, which very very bizarrely the tour did not uh, release Rory. In fact, uh, was told after that a volunteer had stepped on his ball. Ah, so Rory, in fact, was had an embedded ball because it was actually fully embedded. Patrick Reed himself, uh, in his post-round interview, said, well, if I knew the ball bounced, I wouldn't have asked because I know that it couldn't have been embedded. And yet, he still said it was embedded. And a tour official gave him the ruling of a ball being embedded. And I've played a lot of golf in my time. When balls bounce like that, I don't, it's very difficult to see them getting embedded. Yeah. Now, they can plug, for sure, and, and, you know, we've all seen embedded balls, but That one, to me, seems, you know, let's just say dodgy. And to go back to your earlier question, yes. Yes. I mean, it is because Patrick Reed has had a history with rulings, with, with the rules of God, and it hasn't been a good history. And I believe that at some point, someone, because clearly it won't be the PGA Tour because they have no desire to 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 do anything about that guy. Um, You know, I I think at some point, either some senior players uh, or the tour pull him aside and say, you got to get your act together, pal. I mean, it's not good. I understand it's not good for the brand to highlight uh, rules and bloggerios. But neither is it good for the brand, the PGA Tour, Wiki clean, our guys are great sportsmen, we're, they're, you know, wonderful people. They, it, that brand, that branding isn't helped by seeing what Patrick Reed has done. And he needs to be told that it, it, that's it, that's it. No, look, if I, if you want a ruling, and I've played an amateur event where, in fact, I got a penalty because uh, I had an embedded ball and I didn't drop it correctly. Back then, the, the I, I placed it. So I got a two-stroke penalty. So the guy went through the whole, the rules official went through the whole thing. But whoever takes the ball out? Yeah. You call over an official and you say, there. the first thing that rules official said to Patrick Reed was, where's the ball? Which is what anybody would say. What What do you mean? Where's the embedded Oh, I threw it over there. Well, what's it doing over there? Well, here I marked the thing. You, you agree that this is embedded? This was embedded? I mean, it's nonsense. Mm-hmm. I just don't, it, it should not be allowed. And if he had any integrity, he would have called a penalty on himself after realizing that the ball had bounced from video replay and said, well, you know what? It couldn't have, it couldn't have. Uh, broken the surface and it couldn't have been embedded so you know I, I hit from the wrong place and I, I should get a two stroke penalty but that guy he didn't do that you know what he did he he, or whoever runs the social media account said what about Rory what about Rory he didn't even call an official I mean he, he doubles down which is which is what he does every time so you know whatever I mean look golf can't
1: have everyone count be a good guy right yeah reed and uh, dechambeau they're uh, definitely players that uh, spice of the game because of uh, you know uh, the very polarizing figures uh, another controversial player in australia years ago you wrote a story uh-huh. i remember reading this and i was so crushed uh, my, my boy is john daly uh, he has had some run-ins uh, in australia where he uh, hit a bunch of balls in the water and then walked off uh, uh, He's, oh, oh, man, Uh, tell me a good John Daly story, hopefully, because uh, that one crushed me when I read it. I was like, no, I understand what you're writing. Obviously, you're right. It just, uh, it hurt.
0: Yeah, I don't have any good John Daly stories. Oh, none? (laughs) I mean, he's just, look, I mean, the guy is, you know what, he's a professional victim, and he he, he loves, loves to play. Like, he once introduced, you know, a woman as his future ex-wife. Yikes. I mean, it was funny, but the truth is that she did become a future ex-wife. Um, you know, he just has that way of, I don't know, if he, I, I, I describe daily in, in this way. Every time he gets to a fork in the road, he takes the wrong path, okay? Mm-hmm. That, the guy, I mean, if you're weighing 350 pounds, what, it, it, it maybe lose some weight and not ask to ride in the car because your knee hurts. Um I, I have a hard time with, uh, with John, and he's blocked me on Twitter and, and whatnot. But, I mean, I, I, I just call it as I see it. I, if you're being paid to play an event like the Australian Open, which has been won by a lot of the great names in golf, and you don't have the professionalism or the ethics or the, 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 the integrity to not sit there and empty your bag of balls because you know, as soon as you get the last one in the water, you go in because you don't have the ball. And that's what he did. And it was petulant and it was just completely unprofessional. And I've seen him do it before. And then he begged, you know, he used to beg for, for, for starts, uh, when he didn't have the status and tournament directors would give him starts because, Oh, he's John Daly's a name, but you know, I'd, I'd rather have some young kid come in there and, show what he can do you know so anyway i mean he and i are probably gonna see eye to eye on a lot of things so sorry to burst your bubble
1: <laughs> no i mean as much as i love him and uh, he's my favorite you know I, I understand it makes it what you said there's nothing obviously wrong about what you said and it, it always would frustrate me because it's like oh man come on man like you're, just, you're you're killing yourself so yeah it was uh it was always uh crushing whenever you do that uh, uh last question uh, i'll get you out here on this uh I set off the intro for uh, for this podcast. I was talking about Jay honor and Dan O'Toole. Of course, uh, you've been uh, on their podcast a number of times, uh, and you work with them in Fox. Uh, tell uh, tell us a couple of uh, fun stories of uh, working with those two uh, guys,
0: Dolce and Jay. Well, um, those two, I spent a lot of time with in uh, we were in Sochi for the uh, Winter Olympics, and it was just one of the more bizarre experiences because, we, you know, NBC has the rights to the Olympics and they were very, very, very determined that Fox Sports wasn't going to get much of a look in and wasn't going to get a lot of help. So we sort of covered it rogue, you know? So it was very interesting, but um, Jay and Dan would go to shoot these amazingly funny um, bits every day because Jay would, you know, and I think it was Jay that came up with, uh, today and winter Olympics, uh, still photographic history, you <laughs> know, it was because we could only, we weren't allowed to use the film, which when you're in television, it's something, uh, is, is a bit of a problem. So, um, I got to see what those two were about. We had a lot of late nights, um, and, uh, you know, Toolsy, I uh, well, I realised, I realised that you know, Jay and Dan. Jay seems like the oddball, kind of tall, lanky fella. Toolsy's the straight man, but once you get to know him, you realise it's the other way around. So, <laughs> Jay is actually pretty much the straight guy, and Toolsy's pretty nutty, but um, he's our kind of nutty, a very lovable nutty. And uh, I remember Toolsy just deciding that he wasn't going to eat any. Anything that resembled something he didn't recognise was Russian food. So he was he was on a McDonald's diet, which is good for their for their podcast, I, I bet. He was on a McDonald's diet a long time. We didn't lose any weight over there. I'll tell you that. Um, but uh, you know, we we uh, we ended up in Red Square after the Olympics, and you know, Jay, and, it's it's very cold, and we were going to go see. Uh, Lennon's tomb. So we're going in some underground passage thing, and I'm walking along with Jay, and I, I hear this yelling, and we turn around, and it's a busload of people from Calgary, yelling, "Jay, Jay, <laughs> we love you! We, where's Dan? Where's Dan?" So I got to, I got to, uh, I got to experience what it's like to be a genuine Canadian, you know false figure that uh, hanging around with those two. But they were great. And obviously the most o- the most obvious thing was, you know, we got into Canada House like every night. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, there were always great parties. We were like, oh Canada House. Is that Jay and Dan? Oh you two. You two get in. <laughs> so I hung around with Dan and that was always good. But they're just two of the great guys. You know, it's like you talk about I say this about earlier about Australians and Canadians. But you know we're we're we're, we're sort of no BS people, and those two are the absolute epitome of no BS. Two are two legitimate, just great guys, and, and I was very, very sad that PSN saw fit to break them up because, you know, as I tweeted last week, I mean, there's no Laurel without Hardy and there's no Abbott without Costello. You know, those two, they come as a package, and, and it's very, very sad that, uh, that, 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 uh, that they've been broken up.
1: Yeah, no doubt about, uh, couldn't have said it any better myself about those two. They are just absolute genuine, uh, great, hilarious dudes. And, uh, yeah, yeah it's, uh, no, it's no question. Beauty, eh? <laughs> yeah, they're definitely beauties, couple, eh? Couple of beauties, eh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're great guys. Well, thank you so much uh, for doing this uh, podcast, Robert. It's uh, been a lot of fun and, uh, appreciate uh, you taking your time.
0: You got it, mate.
1: That was a blast talking with Robert Lucetic. He was so insightful into Tiger Woods' The Man as opposed to just Tiger Woods the athlete. Really interesting to hear the backstory as to why Stevie Williams said winning with Adam Scott was his greatest achievement and the reasons behind that. Here's hoping Tiger returns from injury healthy and able to stalk Jack Nicklaus's record of 18 career major titles. He didn't mince words about Patrick Reed and him bending the rules as he's done more than a few times, and though it broke my heart with his comments about John Daly, he wasn't wrong. Daily has done many questionable things in the past, professionally and personally. Don't forget to pick up Robert's book, Unplayable, An Inside Account of Tiger's Most Tumultuous Season. And you can watch him on the aptly named Tiger documentary on HBO. He's on Twitter at Robert Lucetich. That's Robert L-U-S-E-T-I-C-H. Thank you for listening to episode 55 of the H-Dog Pod. Bang. This has been the H-Dog Pod with your host, Michael the Hound Dog Harrison. Mm-hmm. Bang. Bang. Mm-hmm bang. Mm-bang. Mm-bang.